0: Hello, hello, my beautiful friends, it's Isabella and we're here at the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. And this one is so epic and so close to my heart. Can you possibly guess? Okay, I will let you know we are having, we're going to capital of Croatia, Zagreb, to talk to one of the amazing individuals that is bridging Croatia with rest of the world with amazing stories video sense of humor and ironically he's not Croatian originally not from Croatia but now he speaks fluently Croatia and he's also the biggest cheerleader of this beautiful small nation where I came from so without further ado let me introduce you to Paul Bradbury He is Total uh, Croatian News CEO. He's a YouTuber, public speaker, consultant, and he's helping people that have wanted to be nomads, to live temporarily or permanently in Croatia, people that are in diaspora like myself, that wants to come back. But more than anything, he shares some amazing news every day. And it's absolutely my joy and thrill to invite Paul in this conversation. Good afternoon, Dobroveče, Paul, welcome.
1: Uh, um, thank you very much for that generous introduction, I don't quite recognize myself, but uh, it's very kind of you, nice to be here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you are doing some amazing work. And I just want to say from selfish reasons. I could not miss the opportunity to bring you here on Legacy Leadership, because we talk about obviously not only leadership, but legacy. What are we doing every day to lead, live, and of course, down the road, leave something amazing, impactful for so many people. And Paul, you already doing so much of that. So Could you please tell us how, I mean, you grew up in UK, so please tell us a little bit about your background and how did you end up in Croatia and how did you fall in love with people and country and of course language?
1: Okay, Um, well, my my story is, I I was born in the rain in Manchester and um, which is the the rainiest uh, city in in the UK. And I ended up being on the sunniest island in Croatia uh, coming via Somaliland uh, in East Africa so i've never really had a career i'm 54 tomorrow i'm still hoping i'll find my career one day Uh, but i've been everything from a male chambermaid to a wine merchant to a laser crystal salesman to a uh, english french german russian teacher humanitarian aid worker and so on and um, back in uh, back in 2001 uh, my wife uh, one year she ran off with a hairy truck driver And uh, I was left devastated. And so I was drinking a lot in the pub uh, every day. And somebody said, you can't keep doing this. Uh, What are you going to do with your life? And I looked at him and I said, a bit drunk, I said, I'm going to hitchhike to South Africa. And the whole pub laughed. And when he came back from the toilet, I said, I am going to hitchhike to South Africa. And uh, three months from today, on the 24th of February, 2001, I will uh, come to this pub at 11 o'clock when it opens. I will have two beers. This was near Oxford. And and then I will walk out at 1137 and I'll walk five kilometers to the motorway and I'll have a little sign saying South Africa and I will start to hitchhike. And everybody thought this was crazy and they were laughing at me and stuff. And three months later, that's exactly what I did. And uh, I set off on this journey um, 25 people came to say goodbye to me, and um, I had this most amazing overland trip from, uh, from Oxford to, um, to South Africa over nine months. I was in a plane crash, I was in a gun battle in the West Bank, everything kind of happened. And halfway I got to uh, Somalia, and I got, I got a job in Somalia, and so when I finished my trip I went back there. And um, having been there about three months, the house we had sold and uh, money was in the bank, and I decided I was going to buy a house somewhere in Europe, close to the sea. And I came to get another gin and tonic, and on CNN there was this uh, requirement, this advert, Croatia, the Mediterranean as it once was, like a 30-second commercial. And I thought, that's where I'm going to go. So that's really why I came to Croatia, and I bought, there was only one house for sale, we came to one island, Hvar, um, which I'd never heard of, and I spontaneously bought this house in the middle of August. And then a month later, I came to complete and there weren't so many people there. And I, I, I thought it was a tourist town 12 months a year. And then I saw all the shops closing, the restaurants closing. And my favourite restaurant closed um, It was closed in the end of September. And I saw the waiter the next day and I said, when are you opening again? He said in May. And I said, May, that's like eight months away. And then it was only then I realized that what I'd done, I bought this house on this um, beautiful uh, island that was getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And so that's how my Croatian journey began. Um, I spoke uh, Russian uh, before, because I I worked in Russia as an aid worker. So Russian and Croatian are from the same Slavic um, uh, family. So I understood the grammar, Uh, but all the Croatian I learned on the island, I thought I was learning Croatian, but I was learning the local dialect for the island which is only really spoken on the island. And so when I went to Zagreb, the capital, and I started speaking, people were like, we don't understand you. So uh, that was kind of how my journey started. So, uh, and that was, that was 20 years ago. Um, I've been here for 20 years. I've lived on the island 13 years. I lived five years in the north, in Varazdin. Now I live in um, Zagreb, in the capital, one and a half years, uh, one and a half years. And honestly, um, I think Croatia is the absolutely the best place in Europe to live. It has the best lifestyle. It's one of the safest uh, places in the world. Uh, it has amazing authentic experiences. Twelve months a year, things are going on. It's affordable. It's accessible. It's got amazing nature. You're close to the sea. You're close to Budapest, to Vienna, um, places like that. And honestly, I have no idea why, why why more people aren't coming here. And um, and now with the digital nomad um, revolution and the remote work revolution. A lot more people are discovering Croatia as a place for um, remote working. And they're really surprised at the quality of the lifestyle here, 12 months a year. So it's not just a a tourist uh, thing on the beach in the summer.
0: Wow, what a journey, Paul. First Mm -hmm. of all, I really kudo you for taking the risk. So everybody watching and listening, Mm -hmm. you are definitely demonstrating what it takes to make a decision, stick to your guns and figure it out. Uh, First of all, as a fellow humanitarian, I'm super thrilled for all of your efforts. And when you mentioned being in Somalia, I know how dangerous that environment it's been for the last at least 30, 40 years. And uh, unfortunately, it's not getting any better anytime soon. So just to be even in that environment is, um, again, huge admiration and kudos for doing that. But fast forwarding, you mentioned you lived in Varasim. That's where my mom used to live. And I used to oh. come in that beautiful Baroque city.
1: Oh, this is beautiful. It really is beautiful, yeah.
0: Yes. And then, then just a nice walk in all town and castle. And, and it's been known as a city of angels.
1: Yes, that's correct, yeah.
0: And when my mom passed away, I remember walking the streets and just felt her presence. It just felt such a beautiful peace and tranquility because you have to be there to really understand because, again, great food, uh, harmony, beautiful architecture, but in the same time, beautiful history, very close to Hungary, as you pointed out. So now from island Uh Huar to capital and everything in between, um, so just to mind sharing a little bit about how did you adopt, did you feel like it was a huge cultural shock or what was the, some initial highlights that really make you kind of pause and think, oh, this is very different or to just to say, oh, my God, I I was waiting for this all my life.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you say about starting starting again when I walked out of the pub in Oxford. I mean, literally... I left my whole life behind, I, we, I did an agreement on the furniture, I had a small rucksack about half size, and um, I literally, when I, when I left, I didn't look back once, and I walked out, and as soon as I got that first lift with a stranger, I was basically in a new life, and I can honestly say it was the most liberating thing I've ever done, and if you are stuck in life, um, it really is possible to start again. You know, I didn't have an, an, an amazing amount of money <clears throat> and I just had this desire to get away to start again to lick my uh, lick my wounds and, and, and have a think about things so um, so that was that um, but when I came to Croatia a lot of my friends were really angry with me because I've been a humanitarian aid worker in, in Somalia uh, I was in Rwanda after the genocide in 94 I worked in all over the former Soviet Union and I'd been to places like Gaza and, uh, and the West Bank and my friends are really angry with me because they thought I was buying in a war zone. this was 2002 and they couldn't believe I was buying on a, a place where the war was still going on or so they thought. And then I sent them pictures of the town Yelsa on bar and they were like, this place is beautiful. And it really it was really, really idyllic. and I really got into this lifestyle. Uh, back then I was picking the grapes, picking the olives, swimming every day in September um, and just going for, getting up at six in the morning, walking four kilometers by the Adriatic to go for a coffee. Um, I was writing a book about my trip. Uh, it's, it's now on Amazon called Lebanese Nuns Don't Ski. And I, I thought I was going to become a writer. And then um, and then that dream sort of sort of uh, failed. Uh, and so I had to really start afresh and being self-employed. And I've been self-employed for 20 years now in Croatia. And I've tried everything. I mean, I, I, we had a real estate agency, which was amazing, uh, just as the real estate prices were going up in 2003, 2004. And then we had the crash. I've done a, a lot of things with... Uh, uh, franchises for certain international products. I've tried uh, real estate in Albania, Montenegro, and um, it's been a constant struggle just to, to keep going. But the actual lifestyle uh, here is, uh, is fantastic. And I've got you know, two amazing kids, and you know just bringing them up in the, on, a, on an idyllic Dalmatian island where uh, the sense of community and safety, you go down to the square and somebody's always looking out and every single celebration has four generations of family um you know they learned to swim at the age of two uh you know for, for them the, the adriatic was like a swimming pool that was just there all summer um they went with their grandfather into the fields to you know help sort of um you know work the potatoes and the tomatoes and stuff so they have that real affinity to nature where i come from manchester and all my tomatoes are born in they're, 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 they're produced in supermarkets 24 7 and the thing that is amazing about croatia is the freshness of the produce and so you know you, you don't get everything twelve months a year as you do back in the UK, but when you have the asparagus season in March, it's sensational. And then you know you have the mandarins in November, and you have the tomatoes and stuff in June, and you can just you, you just find yourself adapting and looking forward to the season because you know it's going to be that amazing freshness again. So it's a it's a completely different world compared to what we have back in the West in terms of quality and freshness of uh, of, of produce. And, you know, it was, um, it's just relaxed. I mean, it's, yeah, there is corruption. Of course there is. Um, but there's also that sort of laid back lifestyle. And I, I was particularly on an island when in the winter, there's really nothing happening. So you just, you're just just there at one with nature. And I found it amazing. Um, so, and to raise kids, I don't think there's anywhere better in the world, honestly. Um, and, you know, I'm so, so glad that my kids had that early start in life with that safety and that um, that community and that nature
0: and stuff. Wow, what a great journey again to as you I love what you bring in, connect to the nature, shift so that you can be also in the summer in very busy tourist environment, but also be able to pause, recharge, and also raise the children that are not so codependent that like we see kids and very stressed out, frankly, because of how fast everything is going yeah. and expectations, but also to not only be in a healthy environment and eat healthy but also to have a people that are not um, constantly in a rush and that you can cover quality yeah. conversations and truly raise them in a way that um, obviously every single parent crave that they have more time, that yeah. they're better, be, better best version of themselves. And yeah. that is really hard to compete with, with urban life and, and a lot of stressors that dad drives as well.
1: You know, certainly it was interesting when I, when I first got there, uh... The first Christmas tree went on the main, the main Christmas tree on the main square went up on December the 15th, 10 days before Christmas. That was the first sign of any Christmas decoration. And Christmas day was always like one or two presents for the kids, one present for everybody, Sunday lunch, Christmas lunch, and then that was it. You know, and we do it was a night and then we'd go for a long walk or something like that. And so all this commercial stuff that we have in the West and all the importance of, I mean, in the UK, it starts in October or in September, the run up to Christmas, it's just, it's just nuts. And what I loved about living on the island was it was very, very non-commercial. Uh, people, had a, they came from the soil, basically. They had a very, very hard life. And when the phylloxera came in the 19th century, a lot of people had to emigrate because it was a wine island and there was, no, was no work. And then tourism came to help things. But that culture of, um, of living from the soil, pretty much every family on the island has a piece of land and they grow their own food. So, mm. you know, you, you know your you know, grandfather will come back from the field and he's... There's your, uh, your tomatoes and your blipers, a Swiss chard and, and courgettes and all these things. And he, you know, it's all grown in the field, it all comes back. It's all straight from the field, from the family field to the family table. Grandma makes an amazing meal and, uh, and there it goes. And that, you know, I think, I, I think probably my favorite story about tourism in Croatia, there was a friend of mine um, and uh, he has a luxury tourism business in, uh, in, Olofva, in Dalmatia on this island. And uh, he said the day I learned about quality luxury tourism, and how to do it was i was in an olive grove with a group of uh, new york jewish um uh, uh, tourists and we had this um you know amazing olive oil tasting we have this uh, pecker this uh, this amazing um, meal uh, it's cooked under this iron bell with, with like um meat and potatoes and onions and stuff really slow cooked and this guy said excuse me is that a lemon tree over there and my friend said yeah he said would it be okay if i picked a lemon this, this new york guy and um my friend said pick six if you like Wow, well, thank you very much and at the end of it he at the end of the tour at the end of the week he said this was an amazing life-changing week in my in my life but i want to tell you what my best experience of the whole week was it was picking that lemon from the tree because i live in new york and the only lemons i ever see are in cocktail bars and supermarkets mm. and so just to have that connection with the soil and then my friend realized that, you know, uh, we don't really appreciate what we have here, but people who come there, they're amazed by it. So if he could come up with some projects and some, some tools which monetized that sort of authentic lifestyle, um, he could give amazing service and have no costs. So, you know, and that's, and so he, his, 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 his business flourished. And people, I mean, we used to, I used to send the kids out in the evening and just pick a lemon from the tree, please, because daddy's gin and tonic's waiting. You know, and they go out and pick a lemon, and then we cut it, and then sit on the terrace and watch the sun go down. I mean, it's uh, it's magical.
0: Mm, I love that story. And what's so beautiful is uh, not only connection with the nature, as you mentioned, uh, but then also opportunity for us to really pause and reflect what matters the most: the quality yep. of the relationship you have with your children, with your family, with people yeah. in the island. Opportunities to really connect and bond in such a deeper, meaningful way, right? Yeah. and And then one thing what I really love and what I miss is the rituals, ritual of having a meal, ritual of mm-hmm. having coffee, just that consumption that you're so present and aware. it's not just to be let's let's go, let's go fast. But it's yeah. more about let's enjoy, let's 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 smell the ocean, the beautiful winds that yeah. are bringing all the smells of from the land, from lavender, from olive yeah. trees. But in the same time, um, let's pause and embrace it, and we forget yeah. to do that.
1: We do, and you know, and you know, there's a reason that Starbucks doesn't exist in Croatia. Um, it's just it, it would just it wouldn't succeed here whatsoever. And it's really interesting if you take a photograph of the coffee ritual on the on the waterfront with people sitting there for an hour and a half with one espresso and then you, t- you take a photograph of starbucks where they're all sitting inside and they're having these crazy expensive uh, coffees and, and a lot of them are working on their laptops and so on like that it i mean that that sums up the difference in terms of lifestyle and what's really nice for me is seeing all these uh, digital nomads that are coming and they're going wow this is a lifestyle you know and during the pandemic we had uh, a couple of uh, Americans from, digital, from Silicon Valley, from, from San Francisco, and they came to this island they rented our place uh, on Croix for seven months in the end. And they were like, winter on this island is just insane because it's just nature, peaceful, you know, the internet's fine and, you know, the human relationships you can get out of season because everyone's got time to talk. And they said, there's nowhere better really." And, you know, why... The Dalmatian islands are not more populated and more, you know not more lively because there is just it's just so magical uh, compared to all the stress of of uh, of modern life elsewhere. so it's it's definitely a slower, slower way of life. Um, but I say that uh, particularly in Dalmatia, um, living in Dalmatia is a little bit like having malaria. Um, once you get it into your blood, uh, it's there for life, and you can never quite get rid of it. And uh, so I probably would struggle to go back to Manchester and try and live and and, and work in in the normal sort of way that, that, that people do there. Just because I've been here too long now, I've become native, I suppose.
0: That's fantastic and a great comparison because also you get as you mentioned so much sunny days and and um, yeah. lacking, lacking sunshine in Manchester and just in general in UK I know a lot of my friends there are like Isabella, we have a season fatigue and from gray and rain and and we really sometimes have also seasonal depression and and that's why i was was so interesting how many actually uh fellow brits will come and visit and they will be like oh my god we we really need this and and it's so nice also to have that opportunity to compare to go places but also adjust and 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 yeah. have a, sometimes best of the board worlds and since you immerse yourself so deeply in croatia so Paul, do you mind sharing some pivotal moments? Obviously, uh, fortunately, very emotional, heartbreaking event springboards you to take a leap of faith and jump into and, and just kind of see where you go, right, Or and, 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 and go on that journey. So do you mind sharing uh, what was some of the pivotal moments in making these decisions, because so many people feel it but they don't act on it. What was that?
1: It's interesting because to me at the time it seemed so natural, and now when I tell the story, um, people are like, "This is crazy." You know, it's one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. And my kids are like, "How are you still alive, Dad?" You know, with all the sort of because I've, I've always been a very spontaneous person, but to me, when I look back at that situation, you know, the relationship's finished. I was in a job i didn't enjoy at all um, most of my friends it turned out were her friends so i actually didn't really have any friends and um and the only thing that was keeping me there was the local pub and the alcohol you know and i, I realized if i kept because i was drinking five beers at lunchtime and then i was doing my i was in the wine business so i was doing my wine deliveries and then i was having like 12 beers at night and then i'd go home and have two bottles of wine and then a jar of jalapenos and and that was all i day. and it was i was a total total wreck and then when I made this decision, I suddenly thought, wow, there is what, what is keeping me in this life? What are I, I got a pen and paper. I said, what are the things that are keeping me in this life versus what if I try and start again? Um, what, what is there to be afraid of starting again? And you know, I had about £7,000, about $11,000 uh, in savings. That was it. And I had a commitment to my father in the wine business uh, in nine months. So I had a nine-month window to go and explore and sort myself out and everything. And i just thought you know the only thing really here is a family and that's kind of it but you know i've traveled before and stuff and so they're, they're, they're kind of used to it um and there's really nothing else and i've got eleven thousand dollars why don't i go and spend that i'm still i was 32 at the time and let's just go and explore and let's see what happens um and i've, I've always been somebody that's gone and explored and something always happens so I was working in Moscow. I got fired. No, sorry, I resigned from a a job um, uh, because it was all mafia. And I met a girl in a bar. And two days later, I was on a plane to Africa to go and work in Rwanda and the genocide. So, you know, first time in Africa kind of stuff. So I've always been, and because of my humanitarian aid network, I knew I could probably get a job back in that network if I wanted to. So what I did was I contacted all my friends from the aid work uh, world before, you know, before this relationship. And um, I said, well, I'm sorry, I've not been in touch for five years. Um, I met a girl, now it's all over, and now I'm going traveling again. And I have this route through the Balkans, through the Caucasus, through um, Middle East, East Africa, down to South Africa. And if any of you are working in these places, or if any of you um, uh, know somebody that might give me a bed or go for a drink or something like that, it would be great to hear from them. And um, the response was phenomenal. You know, there was a girl in Tajikistan uh, who I worked with in Dushanbe in 1994, and she was now living in Albania, for example. Um, so I hooked up with her for two weeks and we traveled through the Balkans. There was a guy I worked with in, um, on the edge of Siberia, he was now living in Zagreb. There was another guy who was in Eritrea and stuff like that. So, so I did my first trip. When I started the trip, I got to as far as Vienna, and then I wrote this report. Uh, I had had hair back then but I had ginger hair back then and my my email address was gingerdoesafrica at popmail.com and so I had these things called the ginger reports so I did the ginger Vienna report and I just wrote back to my friends who were in the pub and a few few other people saying hey I'm alive this is what happened to me in the last week I'm now in Vienna with my friend George and people thought, like this is amazing please write more so um, so when I got to study which I found fascinating in 2001 I wrote um, uh, the Sarajevo report, This is amazing, amazing, amazing. I got completely hooked on the Balkans. I spent seven weeks. I was in parley I was in Albania. I was in Kosovo. I was in Belgrade the day Milosevic got arrested. I was. It was just. It was just insane time. And um, and then what happened was um, these the friends of mine would recommend friends who were in these destinations, and they would forward my r- ginger reports to them so they could see what kind of guy I was, and they were like, wow. This, these are really interesting reports and he writes about his hosts so everybody gave me amazing hospitality so everywhere i went i just met the most incredible people and there was a party every night and it was all this because I was, I was kind of interesting to them they were interesting to me and i basically um had you know nine months of insanely great uh, great hospice- hospitality all the way down and i didn't take um i didn't take a camera i didn't take a phone this was before the this is before google really it was 2001 there was no trip advisor there was no there was no social media uh, there was nothing really to um to reference you know uh, there was an uh, the internet cafe there was one forum on lonely Planet called the thorn tree and that was the only thing you could do to connect with travelers and you know what the memories of that trip are still here today like this and all the other stuff i've done with social media ever since you know, it's kind of it, kind of a blur and um by the time I got to South Africa, in, uh, in, in nine months later, I came back to the UK. Came back to the pub, walked into the pub, and the girl, the same barmaid Sarah, beautiful smile. She just looked up, um, picked up a glass, started pouring, and said the usual, as though as though I hadn't been anywhere, you know. And I looked around the pub, and nothing had changed in nine, nine months, and my life had completely, utterly changed. And I was so grateful that I'd made that leap. You know? So my, my advice to anybody is: if you're stuck, change it.
0: I love that again, again, everybody watching and listening, fall. As, as he mentioned, you have to take a courage, you have to take a leap of faith, and you have to let yourself to experiment to try and, and then journey might take you on, on places you never imagined, like in Paul's situation, but Paul, you always obviously leverage storytelling and an amazing human people connection first of all but what, what you just shared i would love to learn a little bit of, how was the experience to be in rwanda post-genocide obviously you were there in 2001 i believe you mentioned uh, no rwanda R-
1: R- 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 was 94. so the 94, genocide- that,
0: okay so you were right right during the time when it was really happening wow two weeks,
1: two, two weeks after it finished it was my fir- first time in africa you yeah. know, and uh it was uh you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, it was the best time of my life. Um, I've never been had such adrenaline. I've never been uh, given such raw emotions. I've never worked as hard. Uh, I've never had such great camaraderie with colleagues. I've never had such horror i've never had such disappointment uh, as when a lot of my colleagues i'd worked with for months got arrested for genocide and uh, turns out they were actually uh, murderers and i've been working with them for months so it really really played in my brain um it was in, in a way that nothing else has done in my life but um i, I really 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 uh, was grateful for the opportunity to, to to be there for that and probably the nicest moment of my life was because I, I used to do these distributions where Uh, We'd go up at five in the morning and we'd have about uh, a convoy of trucks with about 150 metric tons of seeds and tools and and, and, and beans and things like that. And I would come to a field in the middle of Africa at seven in the morning and then you'd see the first silhouette walking across the the horizon Um, and some of these people would walk 20 kilometers to come to this distribution point. And there were five of us, five locals, uh, Rwandese staff and myself. And we had to have these ropes and stakes and everything else and we unloaded. and We got all the village leaders, we had the list, we'd already prepared all that before. And uh, we were giving out 50 kilo seed bags to uh, five heads of families to divide uh, by, by by five. And then they would put this on their head and then walk 20 kilometers back home. And three months later, all these people had their lives decimated to so go through the fields and see them harvesting. The bean harvest from the beans that were given out so actually their food security was starting again it was uh, it was just awesome it really was um and uh yeah it was i mean but it, it, it really messed my head uh rwanda uh, for many many years in fact i just had therapy for the first time in um 28 years later and talking about something else and all this stuff about rwanda came out it was uh it was amazing so i actually went to the states in april to go and hug six people who i'd worked with in rwanda in 1994 just to sort of put that to rest so um but yeah but, but um, you no know, if you look at rwanda today it's it's uh, semi-dictatorial but it is the cleanest safest country in central africa there's no um uh, ethnic uh, everyone's rwandan now they're not hutu, hutu or tutsi it's one of the fastest growing economies there um they are in the top 10 places in the world for luxury tourism for billionaires people are going to, billionaires are going to uh, see the gorillas and all the infrastructure there Um, they they banned plastic bags from the country totally in 2009 Uh, you they deliver um, emergency blood by drone anywhere in the country within 30 minutes you know and this is a a very very this is a country that was killing itself um, that murdered 12 percent of its population in uh, in 100 days back in 94 so when you compare what happened in obviously in in Croatia and former Yugoslavia which at the same time, and the big difference obviously was that uh, they had the reconciliation which has never really happened here in in Croatia and so the hatred and stuff goes on. Uh, There's no illustration here, but um, a phenomenal achievement for such a small country uh, and such a backward country with nothing really. So um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm always forever grateful for the opportunity for for Rwanda. I I went back in 2001 uh, and that was very traumatic because on, on this trip actually, because uh, my best friend, um, my, my best local friend, who was a fluent Russian speaker, um, he was arrested the day I left uh, and beaten up and stuff. And I tried to uh, get him out and, uh, and then I left. And so I went to try and find him seven years later. Uh, so I went to all the prisons and I found some of my former colleagues that were still there in prison seven years later. It was, uh, but it's, it's, I mean, if, if anyone's interested, um, I, I, I wrote a book about um, this whole trip from, from the pub to, um, and it's called Lebanese Nuns Don't Ski. And it's on Amazon. So if you want to read it, then it's there. It's quite a good read, actually.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that journey and the reason why. And then you touched on our questions that, and, and, and situation because when the Rwanda genocide occurred, obviously war still was happening from Yugoslavia and we were waiting for intervention. And after, obviously, there's different political moments in history that was then, um, you know, kind of, um, you, this is what's ha- what what happened in Uranda. You guys didn't stop and prevent it. What else we can do? And it was kind of almost like an afterthought. And also, where do you really put efforts to prevent or do something? Yeah. But one pivotal moment for me happened uh, because at that time I was actually on political asylum in Sweden as a teenager who escaped also ethnic cleansing, genocide, war, tarama, torture, um, and finding myself and seeing a beautiful artist from Rwanda, mm-hmm. who happened to be actually at the time in Netherlands for an art exhibit, mm-hmm. and who through Swedish friends was brought to Sweden because Sweden at that time, excuse me, was taking uh, not only political or just in general asylum seekers who were trying to um, escape. He was by default there, and I could never see. Recognition of survival guilt that Borovas exchange at that moment because he was so desperately wanted to go back, but he knew that he couldn't at that time. And and later on, um, it's it just so fortunate that so many of those families um, that I encounter over in uh, in Sweden at that time lost everything. There were not many to begin with. Uh, but the ones that just happened to be or they were, could not return back home or they were looking uh, to stay in Europe or they didn't know what what is the best course of action to do, dealt with so much survival guilt because they were not there and they felt like they could not defend their loved ones. And some of them truly lost absolutely everyone. So when we look at that, other side. uh, I'm glad you brought up the point of reconciliation, and I'm so glad to see them thriving, right? But then also in so many ways, Croatia is rebuilding and and, and, and going towards the thriving economy and culture, but it's fortunate that sometimes you can't have a dialogue and reconciliation just with one party right it takes takes everyone to get involved and when people ask me isabella is it still safe and and peaceful there um love to if you don't mind you mentioned it's a very low crime a lot of tourists Mm -hmm. what is your sense of everything paul so that comes from you know no croatian no bias uh perspective please
1: In terms of safety, uh, I would say that uh, it is one of the safest countries in the world, Um, and uh, a lot of Australian diaspora uh, are actually moving back to Croatia to bring up their families here. And safety is one of the number one things on the uh, on the agenda. Um, And so and uh, there was a big survey uh, in Nomadlist, which is this big um, website for digital nomads. And one of the the stand, I mean, Croatia ranks really highly. Uh, I was one of the co-founders of the Zagreb Digital Nomad Week uh, in 2021, which is the first sort of big thing to put Zagreb on the map. And now Zagreb currently uh, uh, constantly ranks in the top five places in Europe for digital nomads to go. But one of the things in the survey was that the disparity between male and female nomad preferences, and there was a 20% increase of uh, female over male nomads coming to Croatia Citing safety as one of the main reasons, so female travellers here feel extremely, extremely safe. Um, and you know, a, a lot of Americans that they're, they're just amazed seeing a girl walking home at midnight in the in the in the city, and no one's going to harass her or anything else like that. And so it's and so it's a real shock for Croatians when they go abroad to see, my God, this is so uncivilized uh, elsewhere. So I would say safety is one of the biggest attractions we have, and um, um, and then you know, the lifestyle, and also we have, you know. There is there are so many authentic experiences here because every single village has something to celebrate. They've got some insane festivals. Um, I mean, the biggest festival on far is the Edible Dormouse Festival. Um, they have a lavender festival. Uh, they have a Father bean festival and another place where they have fava bean ice cream and that kind of stuff. But and everywhere has their own Saints Day. And then there's a temple of in eastern Croatia. Where they have the uh, jeseni, Vinkovci autumn, and all the villages around in Slavonia dress up in their traditional dress, and all the kids in you know, all this traditional dress, there is such pride, um, and it's just one of the most m- magical um, sort of events I think in Croatia because it really brings all this tradition and all this sort of, and again the community, the generations that come together, it's the grandmas walking with the, with the with the grand the grandkids, and they're all together and they're all proud about their own village and stuff, and it's it's, it's wonderful to watch, and it's something that we've lost in the West, I think.
0: I love that again, and thank you so much for highlighting so that all my fellow Americans and my global colleagues and friends that are eager to explore can kind of get peace of mind, and then also can say that war and conflicts, uh, it's past history now, we we'll learn from it, we will not forget it, but we will also Moving forward, and we are part of the EU, and it just does so many other beautiful highlights. But, but it's, it,
1: it, it's actually interesting because if you look at Croatia, Croatia was like was in Eastern Europe, and it was, in, it was the, in the Eastern Bloc. And the UK, Britain, was like a part of the EU, was like a big sort of uh, you know one of the most important passports in the world. And what's happened in the last few years is Croatia joined the EU in two thousand thirteen. Uh, it Joined NATO. Uh, First of January this year, it joined the Schengen zone. Um, And um, we now have um, passport free, uh, visa free access to the states. We've just signed a double taxation treaty with the states, which comes uh, into effect later this year. So, actually, if you have a Croatian passport, it's one of the most powerful passports in the world now, and if you have a UK passport, it's terrible because you know you can't even get, into, you know, it's hard to get into Europe even now. You know? And um, so, there's been a lot of progress has been made for Croatia uh, integrating it into the European family, and it's definitely um, pointing very much towards Western Europe and 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 being, being a bring a true European uh, country. And you know, for a country that was 30 years, ago, I mean, it's only 30 years ago that Dubrovnik UNESCO World Heritage Site was being shelled you know um and so and so the progress that's been made there and just to say about americans i mean americans are very very welcome uh very very welcome. and during the pandemic uh croatia was the only eu country which was open to american tourists and um we brought um, uh abc news over to croatia so they, they contacted me and so i, I arranged a six-day trip for them down to dubrovnik and we had six uh, reports on ABC News, including Good Morning America, which was watched by 12.5 million people. And this was also at the time of the digital nomad visa coming in. So, this message of Croatia being welcoming, beautiful, uh, remote work—it all went out at the right time. And now we have direct flights from New York to Dubrovnik, um, um, and so it's 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 much much more accessible than it uh, than it ever has been. And Americans are very very welcome there.
0: Such a beautiful, um, powerful impact you created, Paul. First of all, I just wanted to kudo you for such as, because people don't realize that we're less than um, four and a half million of people, and with the diaspora, you know, a lot of people that are coming back, and then also nomads from other countries, uh, but yet it's not so populated, yet has so much history and diversity in terms of nature, cities, modern and ancient, Uh, And Dubrovnik, obviously, uh, it's very close to my heart, personally. For everybody that don't know, please Google, check it out. And also, I wanted to heavily, heavily recommend to go check Paul's Broadbury's youtube channel and where he has amazing videos great sense of humor but also great storytelling and beautiful background of a backdrop of gorgeous nature and obviously of course people uh that you will not regret and get a little bit more sense of and speaking of that paul where they can find you where they can obviously you have a great book that is on amazon um they also have channel and we'll add all of those links guys to make it easier for you in the end but I want to really make sure where you can find and more information and also ask Paul all these great questions so that you can have amazing journey either you're trying to permanently move there or just to be a a nomad uh, or anything in between
1: okay well I've just co-authored a book with uh, Lauren Simmons called Croatia a survival kit for foreigners and this is uh, a mixture of stories from my 20 years and also, a very practical guide about how to open a bank account, how to uh, how to find a dentist, that kind of stuff, and that's on Amazon. Um, I've just started a YouTube channel, as you mentioned, called it's called Paul Bradbury Croatia Expert. So if you go to YouTube, you can find that. Um, I'm also very active on LinkedIn, um, so you find me there. And um, and then I run a, I run the biggest English language news portal here called Total Croatia News. So if you go to totalcroatianews.com, you'll find uh, your daily dose of uh, Croatian paradise.
0: Wow, Paul, so back to my question that I always ask, You obviously live in your legacy, you're leading with your legacy. And of course, not only having because you have children, but because you created so much value and impact for others, you are also have amazing legacy to leave behind for future generations. And definitely for people in Croatia to be supported in ways that you leverage all these amazing tools to make it happen. Paul, what is left in bucket list? and what legacy you would like to still achieve and what it is legacy for you um, and what, what that means for you and your family uh, and yet to accomplish.
1: I mean, for me, uh, you know, the, the most important thing is I want happiness and health for the family. Um, I want to, you know the, the kids are now 16 and 14. Um, I see becoming an adult in the modern world is full of challenges that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago. Um, and I want to try and help them navigate them through that. Um, and as for the rest, I, I just uh, I, I just really enjoy living here, you know, and, and I'm actually really enjoying living in the region. And so this YouTube channel is going to be uh, exploring the rest of former Yugoslavia, Albania, as well, places I've been to the last 20 years. And uh, we're just about to launch a TikTok channel. So uh, I'll be a 54 year old TikToker. Sounds pretty, pretty sad, doesn't it? (laughs) So, um, but, you know, every day is different. It's a a beautiful country. Uh, The uh, stories, the characters here uh, are never ending. And uh, if you wake up with an open mind and uh, don't take yourself too seriously, um, and I guess the biggest biggest advice I'd give people to um, who are thinking of moving to Croatia is comparison is the thief of joy. If you expect it to be exactly like it is back home, you're going to be disappointed. Um, it's different, and you look a bit like you know the asparagus season versus twelve month asparagus is different. And once you get used to it, it's better. And um, I have a saying which I a sentence of advice um, which took me 15 years to formulate uh, about doing business in Dalmatia uh, because I came as a fairly arrogant Westerner going, they need this, 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 this. And um, and then so many people come and go, these Dalmatians are so lazy, they're so stupid, they don't have this and this and this. And after a while they get frustrated and then they leave. And I realized that I actually, took me 15 years, but I, the sentence was this and I said, If you can listen to the sentence, understand the sentence and live by this sentence, you will have the gates to the kingdom. Um, If you listen to the sentence and don't follow it or don't understand it, you'll have years of frustration until you come back to the sentence or you'll leave. And the sentence very simply is, do not try and change Dalmatia, but expect Dalmatia to change you. And if you can really understand what that means and live by that from the beginning, you know it's it's magical. It's hard as with, with our Western Western mindset, but uh, and it took me fifteen years, but uh, that's definitely the way it is. So, you know, come come with an open mind. um You know, come. Don't expect everything to happen tomorrow because it won't. Uh, if it works in any other country in the world, it might not work in Croatia. Um, but um, and there's definitely corruption, and the bureaucracy is uh, is challenging. Um, but for me, I think the positives far outweigh uh, the negatives, and there's nowhere else in Europe that I'd rather live.
0: Then leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.